Brought to you by Moonbeam Multimedia. This is 16 to 1, a podcast about education, teaching, and learning. Hey, welcome to episode 101. And one. Thanks for our last episode and bearing with us in the different format and stuff that was kind of weird for us to throw together that way, but we had a really fun time with that. And uh, we have achieved competency. Competence. We, and now we are experts. I liked hearing your coworkers talk about listening to it and stuff. It was really fun. So I loved listening to that episode. It yeah. was wonderful. So thank you. Yeah, we're back to our reg- regularly scheduled programming this it's week. It's just us. Yeah, it's just us. <laughs> We've got headlines for you and oh boy, are they some headlines. Uh, <laughs> and then oh boy, are they? <laughs> she says, "Yes. Uh, yes, they are." The headlines this week are a little bit tricky and i get a little wound up about them so i actually sat down and wrote out thoughts about them Mm -hmm. this time so that i wouldn't yeah blab on in an pontificate yeah i wouldn't pontificate in an unrestrained way Mm -hmm. i put some some bumpers on the Mm -hmm. argument Mm -hmm. so bumpers um, that's a good word for what you've done yeah i put bumpers on my feelings i've never known you to do that i'm i tried really hard this is new it is welcome it is (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but other than the headlines that we're going to hit next, this week we are talking about Dolly Parton's Imagination Library yeah. as our main topic, which is going to be fun. This is kind of your gem. You put most of these notes together this I week because you are, yeah. love Dolly. Uh-huh. I have told Chelsea, like, do not let me just ramble on forever about her because but, I could. Got to put bumpers on you too. I need Dolly, I need Dolly bumpers. Dolly bumpers? Yeah, I need Dolly bumpers because... As far as famous people go, she's the top of my list. You know, she's up there for me. Well, Big to, Dolly fan. I need to f- find out why when we get there. But would you like to get started with our yeah. education headlines first? Mm-hmm. Okay. Here what we is go. our uh, yeah? What's our first news story this week? When we start into the the roundup, mm-hmm. I always feel like I should like cut desk at a desk like Jeff Daniels in the newsroom. Yes. And there's like a big board behind us. Yes. It's like breaking news. And it's... Steve Kornacki is there for sports. He's he's there for everything. He's there for data. He's got khakis. Khakis. He's got... All day long. A whiteboard. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel when we get to this part. Anyways, here I am at my desk. Okay. An update in our ongoing coverage of America's literacy crisis and the conversation about the science of reading. Yes. This is from the AP uh, January 14th of 2024. The Georgia Department of Ed has proposed a $11.3 million budget to fund literacy initiatives, including literacy coaches and a screening test to identify students with dyslexia. Some lawmakers say the department is not doing enough to comply with a literacy law passed in 2023 and would like to see a more aggressive approach. They point to the fact that Georgia has one of the highest illiteracy rates in the country. Georgia joins Ohio, Massachusetts, New York, and more than a dozen other states that included literacy initiatives in their 2024 legislative sessions. Okay, so we're not in the bad right now. Uh, well, we're on, we're in the bad, but not for that. Well, we're in the bad because Governor Mike DeWine of Ohio did want to budget for science of reading initiatives. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that happened as a result of all of that was that the three queuing approach was banned, mm-hmm, basically, mm-hmm. and then the Reading Recovery, I think it's called Reading Recovery gotcha. Council of North America, sued the state to gotcha. keep mm-hmm. that 
in curricula across the state. So anyway, we we, are, we do care about the science of reading, apparently, at least a little bit. Sure. Yeah. And we talked about this, about the science of reading and the three queuing approach in episode 96. Yes. Which was about Piaget. Yes. We also have multiple times recommended APM's podcast, Soul Story. Yeah. Um, I, I Chelsea talks about this podcast. I tell everybody I know about Soul to Story. <laughs> She's like, we have a podcast, but have you ever listened to Soul to Story? Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, you can listen to our podcast if you want. But actually, but before that, listen to Soul to Story. I'm a big fan because it's just really important reporting. And it's very well done. Yeah. It's a well done podcast. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is an interesting story in Georgia. So the, the critics of what's going on there are, I think, rightfully pointing out that this is probably not enough. So 11.3 million in the grand scheme of things to hire literacy coaches and screen for dyslexia when this issue, at least as far as our understanding of it is unfolding, is deep and embedded in the way that literacy instruction is taught, you know, to to teachers at the higher education level. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, this problem is one that has much greater impact even for budgets because there's a lot of retraining it probably needs to happen for teachers who may have come up when these methods were, for whatever reason, more widely used. And these, you know, the, like the Fountas and Pinnell stuff, these people who publish materials, this reading recovery stuff, they're still out there on the market and claiming everything is sort of okay. Long story short, there's still a lot of teacher education out there that is oriented toward a methodology of teaching phonics and, and literacy that does not really work. <laughs> we have huge numbers of students who are below proficient in, in reading, especially in younger grades in this country. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, yeah, I just think that the challenge is really complex. It's going to require a lot of funding and there's going to be an uphill battle since a lot of teachers do think that this works for them for whatever reason. So I'm glad to see Georgia taking steps. I think it's going to require a lot of investment from a lot of states to start working yeah. to overcome these literacy issues so. that we're facing. Okay, what's our next story? Coming to you from Maryland now. Mild stomping grounds. And this comes from the Baltimore banner. Mm -hmm. There's a new policy at Carroll County Public Schools restricting sexually explicit library books and textbook materials. This policy was passed after months of campaigning by the conservative parent group Moms for Liberty, who challenged dozens of books they claim are inappropriate. The new policy defines sexually explicit content as unambiguously describing, depicting, showing, or writing about sex or sex acts in a detailed or graphic manner. The policy does not apply to materials used in the health curriculum. That was a direct quote from the uh, from this policy, by the way, the unambiguously describing, depicting, showing, or writing about sex or sex acts. I'm going to get on my philosophy and education degree soapbox a little bit here for just a second. This is one of the, this is one of the things where I had to like write down my thoughts because I have a lot of I have a lot of them about mm -hmm. book bannings in general. So I'm going to try to, you know, just take a deep breath. So I think book banning is at its core a struggle over who has the power to define value systems. It's a big deal and that's why people get so worked up about it. Proponents of censorship seek to impose their own value systems on others by denying individuals the chance to grapple with complex ideas and narratives. Opponents 
of censorship, on the other hand, believe that individuals should have the chance to imagine, construct, interrogate, and evolve their own value systems, and as such, I think, are the true guardians of personal liberty and the freedom of expression. Banning books in schools does not prevent children from being exposed to the ideas and narratives in banned books. It prevents children from being exposed to those ideas and narratives in a controlled environment with safeguards in place to help guide discussions and with professionals who are trained to foster curiosity and critical thinking, even in students with whom they may personally disagree. Book banning does not address the underlying issues that may have led to calls for censorship, um, such as a lack of parental guidance or anxieties about sensitive topics. It just amplifies these issues and increases polarization about them and causes disproportionate negative impact on marginalized communities. And there's data to back that up. A banned book is a restriction on personal liberty. A banned book is a capitulation. A banned book is the beginning of the end of thinking for ourselves. There we go. I'm getting off my soapbox. Nice show. That's how I feel about that. I think we should teach banned books. I think we should read banned books. And I don't think there should be any banned books. Yeah. I trust teachers. Full stop. Period. I trust teachers. Cool. Okay. Okay. Our last one. Yes, our last one. So this actually came by way of a... Former coworker, she's a current teacher and a friend of mine, sent me this information from the Ohio Department of Education and Workforce, Odoo. Odoo. They're back. Here's what's going on with Odoo. Sections of the Ohio Revised Code that went into effect this past October after the Ohio Department of Ed was restructured require all public schools to teach students in grades 9 through 12 about their interactions with peace officers. The Ohio Department of Education and Workforce, formerly ODE, is developing a draft model curriculum in collaboration with the Ohio Department of Public Safety. And this information comes from ODU's website. Mm -hmm. It says that the model curriculum provides instruction on proper interactions with peace officers during traffic stops and other in-person encounters. Ohio law identifies four content requirements for this model curriculum. Information on which individuals are peace officers and their duties and responsibilities. Questioning and detention laws, including any that require proof of identity and consequences for failure to comply with the laws. A person's rights during an interaction with a peace officer. And proper interactions for interacting with peace officers. Yeah. I don't know about you, but from that description, I have a lot of questions about this law and this curriculum being developed in order to comply with the law. I would want to have these questions be addressed before this model curriculum goes into effect, let's just say. First question is, how does the proposed curriculum address issues of systemic and or implicit bias within law enforcement? Does a curriculum that emphasizes compliance with police instructions contribute to a culture of over-policing? What would be this curriculum's impact on marginalized communities where youth are disproportionately stopped and frisked? How will this curriculum impact the school-to-prison pipeline, which we have also discussed in another episode of the show? Mm-hmm. Does the curriculum's focus on student behavior and quote-unquote proper conduct adequately equip students to understand and challenge potentially unfair police actions or assert their rights effectively? Does the curriculum sufficiently address the inherent power imbalances between students and law enforcement officers? How should the curriculum address a dynamic where students are expected to defer to authority figures without question? Will the curriculum with a focus on legal rights and procedures adequately address broader historical and social contexts of policing? 
And how will this curriculum incorporate diverse perspectives on policing and interactions with law enforcement, particularly from marginalized communities Mm -hmm. and those with firsthand experience of bias and discrimination? Yeah. Thanks for bearing with us because we had to write out some notes ahead of time for those (laughs) ones because they're a little bit difficult. Mm -hmm. I think they're in a round of revising now after having gathered some public comment. I'm not sure when those are due to be published or when this model curriculum is due to be released into the wild and adopted by school districts around the state. But this is going to be something that I'm keeping an eye on over over the next couple of months because I think this has a potential to be very challenging. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts you want to add on that? I think we do need to be paying attention to what's coming. And I think that all of those questions and more need to be addressed and yeah that was not an exhaustive list i do know <laughs> and like considering who teaches it and things like that yes. like there are so many factors of this that the way that it's it's sitting right now it no that's my statement also still no <laughs> no is a full no. sentence okay no got it so like i said i'll be keeping an eye out yeah and we'll try to bring an update on this story when the curriculum model is released mm-hmm Shall we move on to our uh, main topic for today? Here's Dolly. One of your favorites. Yeah. Tell me a little bit, how did you get into Dolly Parton? Because this definitely is like one (laughs) one small part of your personality, I would say. I love Dolly. My aunt loved country music. My dad is a music lover. I don't know that I would say that my dad is a Dolly fan. But I grew up listening to country music and so if you grow up listening to country music you're gonna have some dolly and i just kept listening to her stuck with you everything dolly i'm like just yes i'll watch it even that really terrible hallmark-esque christmas netflix at movie the square of course okay, okay this was just finally my chance to talk about dolly and i'm very excited go for, for it. it okay so here she is share your passion dolly rebecca pardon Ooh, was born in full named her yeah she was born into a large family, the fourth of 12, 12 children, on January 19th, 1946, and she is from Locust Ridge, Tennessee. She comes from deep in Appalachia, and her family struggled. This was not an easy life. I have listened to her and read about her and things like that, and like they would eat pretty much anything but possum. No possum. Her dad was like, no, it's a big rat. For as poor as they were, that's where he drew the line. Gotcha. There Still was, no possum. There was a line at possum. She comes from a really tight-knit family, and her mother had been a singer, and she's still deeply involved with her own faith and things like that, but definitely came up by way of church music and ballads and things like that. And even a little bit of Elizabethan ballads. Elizabethan yeah, ballads? that wasn't one of the lists. So... Would that be like what I sang in like the Renaissance Choir? I'm that wondering. Stuff? Yeah. I'm, so, that's my homework. I'm going to find out about the Elizabethan ballads of Dolly Parton. Dolly's grandpa was a fiddling preacher. So that's where she's from. Her grandfather. That's what you said. And her, her mom was a singer. Her grandfather was a fiddling preacher. And her mom, her mom stayed at home and raised the kids, but she was a singer. Gotcha. She could sing. Okay. Yeah. Part of her growing up was, like I mentioned, they, they, went, through, they went through some really tough times. Mm-hmm. A tiny home, which you can visit a version of it or a, a replication of it at Dollywood if you were to go there. Oh. Probably one of Dolly's most famous songs comes from what she called a humiliating experience for her. Because her mom had made her a coat out of all of these patchwork pieces, basically. Mm-hmm. They didn't have enough for one color, so it was just this rainbow coat, basically. 
And her mom made her this coat and she went to school and she got made fun of. And she didn't forget how that felt. And so in 1971, she wrote The Coat of Many Colors. Mm -hmm. And so she didn't forget what that felt like, but she didn't really shy away from where she came from. She, from a very young age, helped out around the house and got into music. And so her uncle actually bought her a guitar. And by the time she was 10, she was on her very first TV variety show in Knoxville. Wow. So shortly after that, Nashville found out about Dolly and she made her first guest appearance on the Grand Ole Opry at the age of 13. Jeez. That was in that's 1959. So yeah. So she continues with Man, her music. I did not realize she had been at it like that long. That's yes. a very long career. She's in her late 70s. Okay. So yeah, she started young. So in 1964, she graduates from high school and she takes off for Nashville. The story goes on her first day in town, she met her future husband, Carl. Carl Dean. In a laundromat. Carl Dean. Okay. And they've been together ever since. All right. Good old Carl. In 1967, she gets her break. She lands a standing role on Porter Wagoner's show. And from that point forward, I mean, after like the very first episode, because everybody hated her at first, but oh, eventually really? they liked her. Yeah. Cause I she, mean, yeah. She replaced Norma Jean. Oh, uh, okay. Porter Wagner's original partner was Norma Jean and Dolly replaced her on mm. the show. Well, I will also say she has a very particular voice and persona yes. and way about her and i can understand why she's i'm sure sure she's not everybody's cup of tea but yeah i think she's cute oh she should be well uh, those people yeah, are those wrong. people are wrong don't worry yes yes so that's really where she got her start uh-huh they went through some tough times basically what happened was dolly got so so famous that she didn't need porter wagner's show anymore and so she left and like, she wrote i will always love you for him mm. and that was basically her breakup with him like I need to go do my own thing, whatever. And he sued her. Like they had to settle in court saying that she had not met the expectations of this deal that they had made for her to be on the show. Yikes. She paid him, I think, like a million dollars. How big was this show? Because I, I really am not familiar with this show. Was it like... It was a big music show. Like everybody, like a variety... Yeah, like they, they would sing together and yeah. Like a... What's that guy's stuff. name? Like a Lawrence Welk kind of thing? Yeah, like, probably. So she left the show. She wrote him, I will always love you as I'm leaving your show song. Wow. And... I did not realize until we started researching this that she wrote that. Yeah. Yeah. So... She leaves the show and it's just right, like off the charts. She has released uh, in her career more than like 70 albums. She has, it's like more than a hundred million albums sold. There's a Broadway show. I mean, she just keeps releasing music. She just released a new album like months ago and it's amazing. It's called Rockstar. It's so cool. And of course she was in 9 to 5 and Steel Magnolias, which are two of my favorite movies. Oh yeah. Probably because she's in them. We just watched 9 to 5. When was that? that was last year sometime. Yeah. I'd never seen it before. I have seen Steel Magnolias. Though. Oh, it's a great movie. I watched that when we were camping this past summer and I was like laying there oh, in I a rainy watch that. tent. <laughs> My mom texted me the other night and she was like, I just wanted to say I love you. And I was like, are you okay? She was like, I'm watching Steel Magnolias. <laughs> I was like, I get it. She yeah, has all of us. <laughs> I feel like I have a pretty distinct memory of watching Steel Magnolias with my mom and us both just be like, <laughs> yeah. So one thing about Dolly, she is a brilliant businesswoman. She knows what she is doing. And Dolly has always been someone who's like, she's very self-deprecating. 
she's the first to call herself trashy and cheap. One of her jokes that she says a lot is like, do you know how much money it costs to look this cheap? Basically, that's her show, right? Like in one of the interviews I listened to, you'll understand how dated this interview would have been. But she basically said that when she was deciding what she wanted the dress like, she thought that the town's like tramp was the most beautiful woman she'd ever seen. And that's what she modeled herself after because she had seen this beautiful woman. And like, she didn't understand that she was like mistaken as like a a sex worker essentially was like how people ended up like confusing her when they didn't know it was like a bit. And then she just became it. So, like, I think she gives off, and, like, her voice, if you listen to her, like, she's almost, like, too good, sweet, you know, country girl, but that's just, like, who Dolly is, and so I think it's hilarious that someone like her has, like, some of the most incredible businesses. So, she has a theme park, and they opened it in 1985, Mm -hmm. and it's- Isn't called Dollywood? It's Dollywood, yeah, Mm -hmm. and it's now one of the South's leading tourist attractions, And if you were to go to Dollywood, like I said, you could see a version of her cabin. You could eat um, original recipes from her mom. Like, she appears there throughout the year. Like, people just see Dolly at Dollywood. And so a lot of people have given her a lot of credit because she invested in where she's from, which is like the Smoky Mountain area. She wanted to help the economy there was Mm -hmm. like her big thing. She funds scholarship programs and she supports a center for women's services. But she was, like, very dedicated to making sure that her people are taken care of because she knows how how rough it was coming up. And her little town celebrated her by—and Chelsea was made a joke about how tall it must have been. But they put up a bronze statue of Dolly. It it was because you said it was life-size. I think I lied. It cannot be be (laughs) life-size. But it's, like, her— but there's a bronze statue of of Dolly on the lawn of their courthouse. Aww. Can you imagine being arraigned in court and you got to walk by Dolly Parton? That'd be the most shameful thing. <laughs> That'd be pretty weird. <laughs> so one of the reasons why Dolly is known as such a brilliant businesswoman was because Elvis really wanted to buy I Will Always Love You. And she knew she couldn't sell him the publishing rights. And she said that she wept because she wanted him to sing it so bad. But she said that her songs are like her children and the quote was they have to provide for me when i'm old so when whitney houston sang i will always love you and the bodyguard in the 1990s like those 10 years alone she made more than 10 million dollars just off of i will always love you and otherwise it would have been gone once elvis had a hold of it so coming from such a tough place and knowing how important it is to help support those that, you know, helped you get to where you were going. Dolly and her dad had an idea to start what we now know as the Imagination Library. So in 1995, uh, Dolly creates the Imagination Library as a tribute to her father, Lee, because he could not read. And she has a quote about him and it says this. He was the smartest man I ever known, but I know in my heart his inability to read probably kept him from fulfilling his dreams. Dolly's dad basically believed that if you could read, you could self-educate. And he knew how important it was, yeah. even though he couldn't. And so before he passed in 2000, he told Dolly that the library was the thing he was most proud of her for because he got to see people call Dolly the book lady. <laughs> Gosh, I cannot imagine. Started in 1995. It's been running ever since. Today, the Imagination Library is available in Ireland, UK, United States, Canada, and Australia. 
And this imagination library is an opportunity for a parent or caregiver to sign up their child to receive a free book every month from birth up until the child turns five. So in their five years, they can earn up to 60 books. And we read online that the first book was The Little Engine That Could, and the last book is a book that preps you for kindergarten. I love The Little Engine That Could. That's a good one. That was a a classic childhood read of mine. 100%. Yeah. In 2022, the Imagination Library Program reached 2 million books mailed each month. And 1 in 10 children under the age of 5 in the United States receive Imagination Library books. One out of every 10 kids gets a book from Dolly. That's a lot. Can you imagine? That's a lot. As of December 2023, the total number of free books gifted was 226,964,860. Jeez. All books provided by the Imagination Library are published by Penguin Random House, and they're vetted by a selection committee to ensure that what children are being given is appropriate for their current age and their learning needs. Wasn't it you were reading the selection committee members and just going through and listening to what these there was people like an do infant therapist do you remember that like yeah an- it was some woman who was focusing on mental health of children ages birth to three yeah what an interesting specialty <laughs> so on their website their fundamental theme is this love of reading and learning regard for diversity of people their roles culture and environment promotion of self-esteem and confidence appreciation of art and aesthetics huh so group one is the youngest their newborns to like turning one and the goals of those those books are vision so it's bright big and colorful touch like thick pages rhyme and rhythms simple and easy to use minimal text it's point and say playful sounds and nurturing this is like this big cardboard books yeah. with the really durable uh-huh. and you can like throw them and yes <laughs> okay suck on them okay eat them the whole okay. thing drool so yeah group two is turning to. They continue concepts from year one. They help generate language with repetition and predictability. Books can contain like daily routines and other topics familiar to the child. They have more real photo illustrations, body awareness, nursery rhymes, colors, letters, numbers. Body awareness mm-hmm. for a two-year-old? Isn't that cool? Man, I missed some lessons, I think. Okay. So up to turning three, wordless books. So you build your own story. Values and characters, issues like fear, conflict, love, safety, colors, letters, and numbers in nursery rhymes. Okay, okay. Okay, so for those turning four, more complex stories, so like resolution and with heroes, diversity of others, faces and environment, and it says it's okay to be different, play humor, fun, nursery rhymes, and poetry. Poetry, wow. Yeah. Okay. And then for kids who are turning five, these are the kids graduating, as they call it, school preparation and readiness. Pictures used for words, science, nonfiction, folk tales, thank you, appreciations, rhymes and poetry. I think I would be sad to be a kid in this program and turn to turn five and like stop getting the books. One of my coworkers like <laughs> talked about when her daughter realized that she wasn't getting no, books every month anymore. I think I would be so yeah, sad. Because they like expect it. Yeah. And her little brother kept getting them. And she was like, Okay. So we looked through, they like release a list every year. Chelsea and I read through it a couple or when we were researching. There's like a lot of like Lama Lama books. There was someone about being a bumblebee. The Hungry Caterpillar. I'm a bumblebee or something. I am a bumblebee, I think. (laughs) And the cool thing about it was well, one, they review it every year so that there are changes and things like that to it based on new titles. 
they even were like conscious to include bilingual options. Mm -hmm. Like some of their some of their book choices contain Spanish and stuff like that. I would say its emphasis is is certainly for people whose native language is English, or at least for the most part, because there was only like one option or one book per year that had any Spanish included in it. Every year they release a list, and uh, I think it's like six or seven women are on this group, and and they choose the book selection for the yeah. year. Yeah. So here's how the Imagination Library works. Cities and counties sign up as a local affiliate of the Imagination Library, and these groups then have to fundraise to cover the price. The Imagination Library has set it up so that each book costs $2.20. These local groups where you join when you sign up your child, because you do it by location, they work to cover that $2.20 per book. We will include the link in the show notes, but essentially what you do is you look up the locator and you find what's near you to sign your child up. Then you can have your kids signed up and ready to go from the time that they arrive till they turn five and then they're in school. And that has to be a very sad moment, like you said. I know, right? I mean, yeah. I, I always had a lot of library books as a kid yeah. or whatever, but like, so I didn't have to yeah. give up on books, but it's still just been like, mm-hmm. oh, a little surprise in the mail every month. So yeah, it's really simple. Like I said, you go in, you find your local affiliate. Hopefully they have one. Every state has affiliates. I even looked at like Alaska. They had a lot of affiliates. But what you can do if you are not in an area that is an affiliate, you could sign up to become an affiliate. So a couple ways you can support your local imagination libraries, find their posts on social media or their websites or look up what the affiliate is in your area. For us, it was our county library that was the affiliate. Yeah, libraries are often the affiliates for these programs. And I even found in Columbus, one of the the children's hospital was listed as an affiliate, which I thought was kind of cool to try to help facilitate that for people there. So yeah, the ways you can help them, like I said, you can find out who your local affiliates are and uh, support them in their fundraising efforts to help afford these books for for the kids in your area. And so that's a little bit about Dolly and her incredible work for her dad and her willingness to make sure that kids had access to books even when they come from really tough spots, hmm. which I think is very cool. And this has been going on since when was it founded? 90... 1995. 95, you yeah. said? I don't remember this from my childhood, but that would make sense because it did not exist. We were too old. But you said that you have you have multiple coworkers whose kids do this, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Yeah. I've had people sign their kids up before they're born because they want them to get them as soon as they're here, you know. It's cute. So I've seen people kind of judge Dolly. I think she gets, I think her willingness to make fun of herself often makes it seem like she is what she looks like, which is like such a surface level thing, right? Well, especially when she's gone to great lengths to sort of, and I don't mean this like a false thing, but like she's constructed a persona yeah, she that has. is like part of her. It's not just part of her identity, it's also part of her business. It is. So, like, she's constructed this image right. of her that we see. And yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. People do kind of, like, poke fun mm-hmm. at her because of the way she presents herself to the world. She will always be like, I'm not an expert in business. I'm an expert at being Dolly. And that's what her business is, right? Like, that's how it works for her. But I've read where people are like, why isn't Dolly Parton a billionaire if she has all this success? And it's like, this... These are the things that she has been doing. She has been supporting women and children in her area and around the world. Mm -hmm. She's fine. Like, she'll flat out tell you, like, 
she doesn't need like she sits at home and loves to order stuff from like QVC and stuff like that. Like she thinks it's hilarious. And she like calls in and is like, it's Dolly Dean. And they never know it's her. She's got it. She's got it worked out. So anyways, try to find ways to support your local imagination libraries because we know that libraries and if your local public library is the affiliate, we know that um, sometimes the money's tight for them too. So we want to help make sure that we can keep these things alive. The other thing I wanted to mention is that, do you remember Dolly the Sheep? The clone? Yeah. Yeah. Did you know why she was named Dolly? Yeah, it's kind of vulgar, isn't it? Yes, it is. Didn't they sort of name her after uh, the fact that Dolly had like a chest, basically? She, Dolly the Sheep? Yes. Came from a mammary gland. Oh, that's why. So they named her Dolly the Sheep as a poke to Dolly Parton. Because, Mm -hmm. okay. Yep. I'm going to get on my soapbox one more time. If you have not ever watched a Dolly interview or read or just anything, you are missing out. You are missing out on a hilariously authentic person who's willing and just so funny. What you see is what you get. And like, she doesn't have an off switch. Like she, in one of the interviews was talking about how she always wears her makeup to sleep when she's in LA because she's afraid of an earthquake. Oh my gosh. And she can't go outside and be photographed without her makeup on in LA because she knows she'll never hear the end of it. She's got no qualms with the work she's had done with who she is, with what she looks like, anything like that. And she told this really great story about her dad, which was like how proud he is of her. Like before he passed, he was telling her he was proud of her for that, the statue And he's like, I'm really proud of you for what you are, but I'm most proud that a pigeon is never going to know the difference between you and anybody else because to any pigeon, you're an outhouse. And like, she was just like raised by like these humble people who were like, do good with what you have, but like, you're still the pooper for a pigeon because the pigeon doesn't know you're any different, right? (laughs) She doesn't take herself too seriously, which is refreshing. Fun. So the Imagination Library, one in 10 children in America are touched by a book from Dolly mm-hmm. Parton. Like, that's just so cool. That's better than book it. <laughs> you might be able to out Pizza the Hut, Dolly Parton. <laughs> Ready for fill in the blank? Yes. We have to go back to episode 99 for this one because we did not do fill in the blank in our 100th episode. So in that episode, we were talking about the Library of Alexandria. Mm-hmm. And here was the question for that episode. Ptolemy II was reigning at the time that this famous building was built. At the time of its construction, it was one of the tallest man-made structures in the world at more than 330 feet tall. This building was also one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Unfortunately, three earthquakes damaged the structure, and it became a ruin that fell into the sea. What was that famous building? The Lighthouse of Alexandria. The Great Lighthouse. There are all kinds of naval battles in this in this time period, mm-hmm. <laughs> they were jetting all around the Mediterranean, conquering things. So, if you haven't seen a picture of that lighthouse, do your like, do yourself a favor and Google it. Like a reconstruction of what it yeah, because they like. have like part of the base to be able to determine. You know what I mean? How like, big it was? Yeah. Uh huh. It would have been remarkable. A chunker, truly remarkable. Okay, yeah, a chunk, for a chunk, sure. a chunk, chunky lighthouse. Okay, would you like to do this episode's question? Sure. If you know the answer to these questions, by the way. Write in to us, hello at 16to1.com, all spelled out. And if you give us the answer, we'll send you some stickers. Or even if you don't give us the answer. We still will. Yeah. A total solar eclipse is happening in America on April 8th, 2024. Previously, 
There was an eclipse in 2017 that went coast to coast in the U.S. from Oregon to South Carolina. Yeah, saw that one. Did you see that one? I did. Yeah. We sat out in the parking lot of the school. That's cool. And watched it. It was like, it was August, wasn't it? It was in the summer. I, I was at work when it happened. Okay, it must have been yeah. right at the beginning of school, because I think it was like one of our first in-service days, and we sat out there. That's cool. Okay, so prior to the 2017 one, mm-hmm. when was the last time the U.S. had seen a total solar eclipse? Mm. That eclipse, the one that we are wondering what year it happened, was visible in Hawaii and was the first witnessed in the contiguous U.S. since 1979, when the path of totality traveled only through five northwestern states. So a hint is that it was between 1979 and 2017. Okay. Fun. All right. What did you learn in the last couple of weeks? Well, I was doing what we all do, which is uh, getting on TikTok and crying. <laughs> Which apparently is oh. a thing I do. Do we all do randomly? That? We do you all not do sometimes cry on TikTok? Oh, uh, I do sometimes. Okay, I try not to do it all the time. Well, I don't. I didn't try to. <laughs> Gosh, I'm not that sick. Okay. 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 So I'm scrolling through TikTok, and all of a sudden, lamb chop, lamb chop, the real lamb chop. Like this is like it. The, the, and I'm the like, lamb sock puppet? Is that who you're talking uh-huh. about? Okay. Who else would I be talking about? I just, you know, just, you it's never not, know. Okay. So I'm on TikTok and I see this woman with lamb chop and I'm like, what is this? An imposter. Because <laughs> I grew up with Sherry Lewis uh-huh. and I feel deeply about it. And my babysitter loved Sherry Lewis. We were, we were big Lammy fans. From Lamb Chop's Play Along. Is mm-hmm. that what we're talking about here? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... I find out that this woman with Lamb Chop is Sherry Lewis's daughter, Mallory. Oh. And she has some of her mom's original Lamb Chops, and she makes TikToks with her. That's very cute. So I cried, and I looked it up, and it turns (laughs) out Sherry Lewis's daughter, Mallory, wrote for the show Lamb Chop's Play Along and for the Charlie Horse Music Pizza. I don't know that one. Me neither. The Charlie... Isn't Mm -hmm. that another character from Lamb Chop? It is, but I don't remember the... So Charlie Horse had a spinoff show. Yes. Okay, got it. So it turns out that Sherry Lewis, the original ventriloquist... Uh Is that what they're called? Yeah. A puppeteer Puppeteer. ventriloquist. Somewhere in there. Sold the rights to Lamb Chop to DreamWorks, which is now part of NBC Universal. But... Mallory, the daughter who I saw on TikTok, still owns the live performing rights to the Lamb Chop character. Oh, that's weird. So she could tour or whatever and perform as Lamb Chop. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Her mom covered her. Huh. So their voices are different. She speaks to her, like, to Lamb Chop similarly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to have to go see these videos. Yeah. Well, I remember that night I was like, do you want to cry? And you were like, no. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I just kept scrolling. <laughs> and it's because I was watching Mallory Lewis um, with Lamb Chop. And it was one of those moments that like, there are like few things of my childhood that like remain to be unlocked in that way. Like Lamb Chop was like something I really loved because my babysitter loved it. And we would always laugh. Like there was always that line at the I don't know if it's the end of the show, but Sherry Lewis would always scream, don't slam that. And the door would slam. And she said door because she was like dejected. And every time my babysitter's husband used to leave the house, we would always yell, don't slam that. And her husband, Jack, would slam the door and we'd all go door, you know. So watching her as Lamb Chop was like, oh, it took me right back. And seeing old Lamb Chop, it was just a wonderful feeling. But what I learned, Mallory Lewis exists. She's got Lammy. 
she does the whole thing. It's a wonderful TikTok. It felt so good to watch. Definitely will say my TikTok algorithm is into exploiting nostalgia these days because I've been getting a lot of clips from I love um, that. Mr. Rogers. Oh, <laughs> Fred Rogers just hanging out. We should out on do my a Fred TikTok. Rogers episode sometime. Yeah, I think I think he's about to. I, that show, looking back on it, is like it, it's so weird in some ways because it's just it's just a very different era he of TV. But did a lot for yeah. TV. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, who doesn't love a good sweater? Gosh. All right. What did you learn? Okay. Well, I finished the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I think in the last last episode Woo. I said I was about to, and I finally I finally did it. I had to move on to All other books. All the ditties. In addition to many ditties, I think I mentioned that I hadn't read these books before, and so I kind of knew vaguely how they ended from the movies. And and if you don't want to hear spoilers for Lord of the Rings, which has been published for so long, I think you're in the clear. If you don't want to hear spoilers about the books, skip this next couple of seconds. But I did not realize that there's this whole battle in the shire at the end uh-huh they they don't just drop the ring into the volcano and then peace out and head back to a lovely hobbiton retreat they have to like go home and kick out a bunch of people who have become like these little feudal lords of the shire mm-hmm. nasty dudes who conspired with some of the enemy and stuff they have to have they have to like chase people out of town and there's a battle and like hobbits are killed and stuff whoa yeah I didn't know. I didn't either. Uh, so that's what I learned. I also started reading The Creative Act, A Way of Being by Rick Rubin. I think I actually heard about this on TikTok. Speaking of TikTok, nice. uh, it sounded appealing to me. And it is a very interesting read. If you are a person who engages in creative pursuits of some sort, it's kind of just like a refreshing meditative read on creativity and how to discover it and how to cultivate it and nurture it and how to design your life around the process of creating things that's cool. so yeah so those are nice job that's what that's what i'm into nice any any final thoughts find a reason to listen to islands on the stream one of my favorite dolly songs that's a good one it's a great one thank you for listening and we will talk to you again in two weeks bye-bye bye Listeners, thanks for supporting 16 to 1. We're your co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Adams. And I'm Katie Day. Find our show notes, archives, and resources, sign up for our newsletter, or get in touch with us via the contact form at 16to1.com, all spelled out. We are so grateful for our listener support. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to the show and telling your friends or colleagues about it. The show is edited and produced by you, Chelsea Adams, and you're also responsible for our show's music. And you, Katie Day, serve as lead researcher and social media manager. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next show. And yeah. Jeff Bridges is there. And, and Steve Kornacki is that's him, over right? on Jeff sports. Bridges. Uh, Isn't he the one in the newsroom? Who is that? Jeff's someone. Is it Jeff Bridges? No. No. <laughs> not Jeff Bridges. It's not Jeff Bridges. I can't he remember He is the, the big name. Lebowski. I yes. am an idiot. The newsroom. Jeff Daniels. Ah, Ah, yes. I was so close.